The following sermon was delivered on January 31st, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Organizing pastor Dr. Joseph A. Pipa Jr. preached this sermon entitled Qualifications for the Officer's Wife on 1 Timothy 3.11. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. We've all heard the adage, and there's much truth to it, that behind every good man is a good woman. And that is surely true. But it is equally true that uh, behind every uh, failed man is often a bad woman. A bad woman can contribute to the failures of her husband. I know too many instances. We see some in Scripture. But... uh, in my own experience, instances of ministers whose, whose ministries were wrecked because of the behavior of their lives. Elders, wives, who have caused great harm to, to churches. And that's why in this section, as the Apostle Paul is dealing with the qualifications of office bearers and deacons in particular here, he has this little parenthesis that um, sets before us the qualifications of the wife of the office bearer. Paul, in chapters 2 and 3 in 1 Timothy, is dealing with the structuring of the church. In chapter 2, after addressing corporate worship, the church's uh, vision for the world and desire for the lost, he goes into leadership of men and worship, and by implication, obviously, when women are not given authority or teaching, men and teaching and authority, and the role of women in the church, both in their modesty and dignity and in their role, particularly the domestic piety that uh, uh, Paul uh, sets before them. And then moving in the structure of the church to chapter 3, where he first deals with the qualifications for elders. And then, as we saw last time, uh, in beginning with verse 8, the qualifications of deacons. But here in the midst of that, we've got this little parenthesis that I've mentioned. Uh, Likewise, women must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So what I want to do show you here is that Paul's talking about the wife of the office bearer. And the wife of the office bearer must be a woman of consistent feminine piety. That's simple. The wife of the office bearer must be a woman of consistent female piety. So we're going to consider the necessity of the offerer's wife having such a piety, and then the qualifications of the officer's wife, as Paul details them here in verse 11. We begin then by considering the, the necessity of the wife having these qualifications. And look at the structure of this verse, verse 11. Women must likewise be. This is the structure that we've noticed Paul using already back in uh, chapter 2, where first he addresses uh, the men in verse 7. And we noted there there's a commandment involved uh, in verse 8. I want the men in every place to pray. And then when we came to verse 9, likewise, I want women. That word likewise picks up the commandment, I want. Now, that's in your Bible, as in mine, it's probably in italics. But that is 
the grammar of the text. The word likewise carries with it the commandment that was first given. We have that same structure now in chapter 3. After giving this commandment, an overseer must be, he then picks up with the deacons. Deacon, deacons likewise, notice in italics, must be. The likewise carries a commandment with it, the commandment of the list, we'll call it. So look in verse 11. Women must likewise be. Likewise is bringing down the same commandment. That's why I'm speaking now of a necessity. This is a commandment given to us by the Apostle Paul. But in order to understand the commandment, we have to understand exactly uh, of whom is Paul speaking here because there's some controversy with respect to the, uh, the object of this uh, commandment. You see, in, in the Greek, the word woman will either mean woman generally or wife. And you have to determine from the context what it means, although most often when it's used for wife, it will have with it the definite article. It's not translated, but it's simply that's what distinguishes woman, the woman. You can see it right there. Women, the woman, the wife. So with this parenthesis, there's been three approaches to it. There are some that suggest that what we have here is a fourth office, so to speak, a subcategory of uh, women who are appointed by the church to serve in an office to assist the deacons. There's two problems uh, with that. In the first place, as we noticed a couple of weeks ago, the New Testament offices parallel the Old Covenant offices. We have prophet, priest, and king. These are the offices that have been given to us in the New Testament church. So we have uh, the elder, the preacher, and the deacon. Moreover, uh, no place in the New Testament, no place in Scripture do we find any reference to such an office. There is no such office in the New Testament. And later in this epistle, as the apostle will address the issue of the widows in the church who are placed on the, kind of the church's aid list, they're listed there. But these are people who are to receive aid from the church. And they might have done something for the church, and we'll deal with that when we get there. But uh, they were not an office in the church. This is a section dealing with office bearers. And that's why we dismiss very quickly out of hand that this is some fourth office in the church. Now, for more serious considerations, there are those that say, well, because this is found in the midst of a discussion of deacons, that Paul now is talking about uh, female deacons. So we have deacons and deaconesses. And that's a problem today. We have sister denominations, the Social Reformed Presbyterian Church, Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, have women deacons. Now, in both those cases, that happened as those denominations were going to the left. Now, by God's grace, they've come back, but this is what's been left. But in our own denomination, three assemblies in a row, there's been these attempts to move our denomination toward having women deacons. And, of course, this is the primary passage uh, that people turn to. How do we answer that? Well, there's two answers from the text itself. There's two answers more broadly from Scripture. But first, the text itself rules out the possibility of this being a deaconess or a female deacon. One is, if you'll notice the structure, it's a very awkward place if Paul is going to talk now uh, about a commandment now for an office. Uh, it's just put in there as a parenthesis. It doesn't make sense there. It makes much more sense if it was after verse 12 that Paul then, after 12, talks about the deacon's other qualifications, 
Uh, then before verse 13, he would talk about the qualifications of a female deacon. That's not how he does it. Or he would have introduced it perhaps as with something of the language of verse 10, when he says the deacons must be tested, then let them serve as deacons. Well, then Paul could have said, then let, let these women serve as deacons. That's not his language. Um, but the other thing from the text is the, the paucity, the, the fewness of the qualifications. There are only four qualifications given here. And the list omits some things that are very important for the work of a deacon. Now, some answer to that will say yes, but uh, uh, Paul simply assuming that because he's listed the qualifications that people pick up on that. But that's not what he's done in the chapter. You see, if you went back and compared the elder qualifications with deacon qualifications, Paul repeats many of the things with respect to deacons that he has to say about the elders. He doesn't do that here. He is omitting them, and he's omitting four very particular ones uh, that are very important, uh, not being greedy, being spiritually mature, being doctrinally sound, and being tested. You could see how those things would be very important if a woman was going to serve as an office bearer in the church. I think we particularly think about the greed. We touched on that. We dealt with male deacons. They're dealing with the funds of the church. Uh, they're going to deal with who gets funds in the church. And uh, this is very important. And an office bearer must be spiritually mature. Uh, we saw that with the elders. We see it there in verse 10 with the deacons. Uh, and also an office bearer must be uh, theologically sound. Also, as we see with respect to the elders apt to teach, the deacon who uh, is to uh, be tested and uh, beyond reproach. And so for these two reasons within the text, we do not take this as uh, a deaconess. But there's two broader things from Scripture as well. One, go back to the fact that we have three offices in the church, three in the Old Covenant, three in the New Covenant, in the Old Covenant, a woman never filled one of those offices. In the New Covenant, there's never a record of a woman filling an office of elder or deacon. Now, when I say that, ah, the opponents say, ah, no, there is. Look at Phoebe. Let's look at Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 and see what Paul there is saying about Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is in Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matters she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So in the New American Standard, the word translated servant is simply the word from which we get deacon. Now, you'll notice, if you have a New American Standard, they have a footnote, and they actually say there, deaconess. Well, this is a masculine term, if I remember correctly. Maybe not. Maybe it's a, it's a feminine term. I forgot to check that. But um, that's an assumption that they're bringing to the text. You see, as we saw, the word bishop took on a technical meaning in the development of the church. Well, in the Scripture itself, there are words that signify, that have a technical meaning, but also have a broader meaning. So think of the word apostle. We all know the importance of an apostle. Uh, there were 12 apostles. 
one appointed in the place of Judas, and the 13th, Paul, Paul, one born out of due time. And these were the special uh, emissaries, spokesmen of the Lord Jesus Christ, the writers of Scripture. But the word apostle simply means messenger. And a couple of times in Scripture it's used in 2 Corinthians 8.23, uh, it's used in the plural about messengers uh, sent from the church. And uh, Paul uses it also in uh, Philippians uh, 2.21 uh, of uh, the messenger that that church in Philippi had sent to him to minister to him while he was in Rome. And so the basic meaning of the word uh, is a servant. It's used of ministers. It's used of household servants and slaves. It's used, actually, I'm slipping now to, to servants. Yeah, servants. Uh, household ministers and slaves. And so there's nothing in this word that would cause us to translate it deaconess. She was one who faithfully served the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. She faithfully ministered to the needs of the Apostle Paul. She did not have an office, for there's no record in the New Testament of such an office. The second broader argument against deacons in the New Testament is this matter of authority. In the very context of our text, the Apostle Paul says that he does not allow women in the church to have authority over men. I'll say, well, the office of deacon is not an office of authority. Well, of course it is. It's a spiritual office. It's an office that needs a great deal of insight. It's the office that recommends the budget. It's the office that will recommend which people are going to receive aid from the church. It's the office to stir up liberality in the church. The very exercise of the office entails authority. So for these four reasons, two in the text, two broader, there's no such office women in any other office in Scripture and that matter of authority. Um, I rule out here that this is a reference to deaconesses in our text. But let me say, it's very important when church is functioning that the deacons and the elders use the women in the church to assist them in the ministry. In the history of Southern Presbyterianism and in the Presbyterian Church in America, we've had a very active women in the church that grew out of the concept of women organizing. They would make quilting bees. They would do things uh, for the poor in the congregation. They would assist. And the women need to assist. As we spoke a few weeks ago in chapter 2 about uh, the woman's role in the church is basically a domestic piety. But that then, as in Dorcas, uh, so in the women of our congregation, will manifest itself in many ways assisting the deacons, at this point the elders, we don't have deacons, uh, in that ministry. So Paul's talking here about the wives of deacons. By inference, he's talking about wives of elders as well. For the deacon office, in a sense, is a secondary office. If a deacon's wife needs to have spiritual qualifications, then by proper inference, an elder's wife must have the same spiritual qualifications. But there's one more objection to answer to this being wives. You see, as I mentioned a while ago, the word is often distinguished with the word the. Not translated, but that distinguishes the wife from the woman. Here, the definite article is missing, which causes the proponents of female deacons to say, ah, you see, it cannot be a wife because it lacks a definite article. 
But there's a very good reason grammatically why it lacks a definite article. Remember these lists I'm talking about, the one in 1 Timothy 2, the one here. The first word in the list, so in 1 Timothy 2, men, has a definite article. The second word in the list, likewise women, lacks a definite article. You come to chapter 3. The first commandment to elders, the overseer, has the definite article. The deacons, likewise, must be men, lacks the definite article, and we would expect then in these lists not to have it repeated because the commandment is being repeated. So there's a very good reason here why it's simply the word woman for wife. And so Paul is laying down here this necessity. Women must likewise, wives of officers must likewise be particularly these four things. So let's look at these qualifications. You see they're in a sense, they're very commonsensical. The officer's wife has much knowledge about the life of the church that no one else will have. Uh, each man will speak to his wife to the degree about things as he is crumpling conscience and as she can bear it, those things that he could. By that, she's going to know more, but obviously just living in the house. She knows about the phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning because the Smiths have called and they're having a problem. She knows about the person who shows up uh, early in the morning uh, with a problem. Uh, and her husband, she's helper corresponding to him. She's his help meet, and thus he will seek her counsel. Thus it's very important that uh, the wife of an office bearer have spiritual qualifications. Paul now lists four things, and they're right to the point for the role of the wife of the office bearer. First is she must be dignified. It's the same word he uses for deacons back in Verse 8, it's a word as we have seen means to, have rever to, to create reverence and respect, to handle herself in, in the very way that Paul mentions in chapter uh, 2, that women adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly, um, which is, and then good works proper for women to make a claim to godliness. I think dignity is further expanded on by Peter's qualifications to have a a quiet and gentle spirit, a woman who is gentle and kind and, and reverent. It's what once would have been meant by the word, well, I would still mean it by the word lady, and I often assume between a lady and I have other terms for women that don't act like ladies. It used to be that ladies would handle themselves in such a way that a man wouldn't even think about speaking in an offhanded manner in front of them or saying something to them that in any way would be suggested. There would be a certain armor about her character that would restrain that kind of activity. That is this dignity. This is a gravity of person that uh, distinguishes her as um, part of the bride of Christ, part of the, the holy women of the church. She's to be a dignified person, a dignified lady. And then the next one that Paul mentions uh, is that she is not to be a malicious gossip. Now we get really to the point. You know, gossip is it's one of those more respectable sins that we kind of would like to forget about and sweep under the carpet. And yet, in my readings this past week, in Romans chapter 1, it's one of gossip and slander are listed right there in that list of these gross sins that are the result of uh, people suppressing the knowledge of God. It's a terrible sin. It's a hell-deserving sin, and God hates it in all of us. But again, you can see why 
An office bearer must not be a gossip or a slanderer. And why his wife must also be very discreet in her speech because she is going to know things. The wife of the deacon is going to know who's getting aid in the church oftentimes. The wife of the elder is going to know when he had to make that difficult visit just by being there. And when I've talked about ministries being ruined, this is the thing that has hurt so many churches. I'll be talking to someone. I said, why don't you go talk to your elder? Oh, I would dare not do that because by the middle of the week, everybody in the church would know about it because his wife's a gossip. That's very common. Men are gossips too, but particularly women have a propensity for this sin. And that's why Paul puts it here is that she must be discreet. Don't receive gossip. When someone starts to speak to you about something or someone else, unless you are part of the solution, say, I'm sorry, but I don't want to hear about this because I cannot be part of fixing it. And don't spread that gossip. It's often out of envy that we'll spread gossip. It's out of envy that we slander. And we all need to guard our hearts against gossip and slander. And then the third one that he mentions is also very important, and it's mentioned uh, for the men as well, and that is that she must be temperate. I think this would include both those things that we've examined. She must uh, not uh, be addicted to wine, to abuse alcohol or other stimulants. She should be uh, temperate and moderate in all such habits. But, of course, temperance goes far beyond abstinence uh, of things, not becoming addicted to things. It has to do, again, with a certain... Um, weight of character, a contentment with God's purposes, um, not overly ambitious. Again, I know of men whose ministries are, are, I was just, I had recommended a name to someone and he said, well, you know, his, his wife is, she's, she's not happy where she is and she, she, maybe she didn't need more money, I'm not saying she didn't, but she expressed it in such a way that already this man's ministry was being somewhat adversely affected by her lack of contentment. Our wives must be temperate in their use of things and in their habits and in um, their submitting to the will of God, even when it is adverse. But to say, uh, with Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or with Eli, it is let the Lord let him do what is right in his sight. It's not an easy life to be the wife of an office bearer, particularly the minister, but elders and deacons as well. And uh, this is a very important qualification. And the last is kind of a big basket. Uh, Paul simply says to be faithful in all things. But Paul uh, explains what he means there in part in the passage that we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, Titus chapter 2. For there he tells exactly what faithfulness in all things, faithfulness in feminine piety means. Older women, reverent, there's our word, reverent or dignified in their behavior, not malicious gossips and not enslaved to much wine, so we repeated those, teaching what is good so that they may encourage, and here's who they teach, young women, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And that's Paul's qualifications for all godly women. This is what Miss 
spiritually mature women are to be seeking uh, in other women. It's what we should seek in our daughters. And again, we read Proverbs because it simply gives us this idealistic portrait. Uh, you know, I'm a woman reading this. I'm very tired halfway through it. Paul doesn't put this out here as a way that all of these are the task, but he gives us here a portrait of what our, our Solomon gives the portrait of what Paul will say in Titus chapter 2, where all those things are worked out here. She loves her husband. She loves her children. She keeps house. That's a lot of what's going on here, both in terms of management of her house and the peril of her household and her own home cottage industries where she uh, provides there for the family. Um, it's a glorious uh, description, again, of the work of the woman in the home. And this ideal, I believe, summarizes for us what Paul means by faithful in all things. So it's a very simple list, but it is a very important list, that the wife of an office bearer be dignified and not a gossip, be temperate, be faithful in all things. So the wife of the officer must have a consistent female piety. It's a necessity. It's a necessity then for a church that's going to be blessed, a church that is going to prosper in the ways of the Lord. And in the future, as a congregation, those of you that will be part of this are another congregation. As you consider men as ministers to call our elders or deacons, you must know their wives. That's why it's so important. And you men that will later candidate, you know, you want your family to go to this church. You don't want them to go in on a quick weekend visit. No, you want them to know you all. And the church should want to know the minister and his wife and the family. Not because she's going to be an assistant minister. No, you'll push back against that from the very beginning. But is she a godly woman that will be a support to her husband? You keep that in mind then as you will in the future examine men for elders in this church and deacons. That it's not just the man that's being considered. It's his wife. I know of one man in, right here in this town, a godly man. He's deacon in every way. But his wife doesn't uh, go to that church. And he knows he cannot put himself forward when she does not believe the doctrines that he believes. And so we must keep those things in mind. But as I said to you, and I talked about this two weeks ago, it's for all women. Just as the elder qualifications for all of God's people, uh, what we have here is, is what God has designed a godly woman to be. And thus, although, well, there's one lady here tonight who is not, at this point, uh, the wife of a man who's called to the ministry. I don't know what the future holds, but anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, this is the ideal. Ladies, this is that to which you should aspire. If your husband is considering a call to the ministry, you must surely aspire to these things. This is what God says he wants you to be. But... You girls, this is what God wants you to be. These are the things that you are to look forward to and, and want to be. And as parents, and particularly in this case as mothers, to nurture our little girls to have this passion to quickly develop these things and to grow up with them.
And as you young men now or in the future will think about wives, you remember what Solomon says? He says that charm is um, deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, woman you marry must be attractive to you. But above all of that, she must be a God-fearer. This is your primary qualification. It's listed right here in Titus 2, what you should be looking for in a wife. And we as men have a responsibility to help our wives develop in this way. Dr. Palmer Robertson told us in seminary, they said, gentlemen, what your wife is 20 years from now will be primarily your responsibility. That's so true. And so we must seek to cultivate our wives gently, gently in the development of this feminine piety that God has set before us. But of course, as we talk about these things, we, we recognize how far short we are, men, women, from the patterns of godliness that God sets before us. But that is not to discourage us. No, that is, God said, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect, he says, as I'm perfect. Uh, we can't do that. But that's the goal. We have our eyes on Christ Jesus. We've been chosen to become like him, conform to him. And thus we set this before us, and it is by his grace that we seek these things. For the Spirit who regenerated us gave us new hearts, and the very power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's operative in us. Don't ever take the attitude, this is who I am, I can't change. No, our God is the God of change and transformation. If he can raise Christ from the dead, he can make the weakest of us and the most sinful, godly, and righteous. And so you look to Christ. Look to Christ for the grace. Look to Christ for pardon. What we every day fail, and the more sensitive we become to these things, the more we'll mourn our, our falling short. We'll, we'll grieve over our failures. But that grieving is not to turn to despair or a wrong kind of introspection, which brings back to Christ. Because in him is pardon. And with that pardon is superabundant grace to continue to work in us. Now, if you sit here tonight and you have no interest in these things as men, boys, girls, or women, no interest in this godliness of which our passage speaks so much, then that is a wake-up call to you of where you are spiritually. Because if you're in Christ, you have a desire to be like Christ. John tells us that Christ died to deliver us from sin. If you have no desire for godliness, no desire to be delivered from your sin, that simply means you're still unconverted. It doesn't matter if you're in a covenant home. That's wonderful. But being there is not what converts you. It's the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter that you profess faith in Christ. Words are cheap. That profession does not save you. It's the Holy Spirit regenerating you, giving you a new heart. So Paul says, if from the heart you confess that Christ has been raised from the dead. If you find yourself tonight a stranger to these desires, not caring about holiness, not wanting to grow in grace, then I would encourage you to search your hearts in God's presence. 
and repent of your sin and flee to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of sinners and turns away none who come to him in humble faith and repentance. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.